You are listening to the Hybrid Cloud Forecast Series with host Andre Tost. All right. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hybrid Cloud Podcast. Our guest today is Marcel Mitran. He is uh, an IBM fellow, in fact, a fairly recent IBM fellow, so congrats to that, and also the CTO of our Z mainframe platform. Thanks for joining us today, Marcel. Hey, thanks, Andre. So just for clarity, I'm the CTO for the cloud part of the mainframe platform, not the entire thing. Okay, okay. Well, we'll, we'll <laughs> dive into that, you know, and we'll uh, uh, get to more detail on that. All right. But let's start with introductions, as we always do. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of, you know, your professional history, how you got to be who you are today, and then maybe indeed talk a bit about what your job is right now. Sure. So CTO for IBM Cloud Platform for IBM Z and Linux One. Been with IBM for just over 20 years. Started off as a compiler developer in the JVM uh, Band 6, right out of doing a master's degree at McGill University. Didn't know mainframes still existed back then. And first day on the job, what's a mainframe? Oh, that's interesting. Well, why don't I give it a try and see what happens? And it, it actually worked out pretty well for me. So I've spent about the first, I'd say, 15 years of my career working in the JVM space, in the compiler space, in the language space, just kept growing and extending my scope to more and more and more, uh, becoming the architect for Java and Z becoming the architect for all the compilers on Z. And then around 2015, switched roles. As I became a DE, I was supposed to take a role leading performance for the Z platform. But we decided to launch this new platform called Linux One, which was all about a Z box that runs nothing but Linux. And I was asked to take that on as the CTO for Linux One. And I've been in that role up until recently when I got promoted to fellow and took on the broader cloud strategy for the Z platform. Obviously, as part of the CTO for Linux One, I did do a lot of cloud-focused work because, you know, you can't have a platform without having a cloud strategy these days. So I led a lot of the work to bring IBM Cloud Private back then, now OpenShift. I invented HyperProtect, which is our public cloud offering for Linux One and IBM Z today and everything to do with confidential computing and drove a lot of the strategy around that. So yeah, it's been a journey leading a lot of what I would describe as leading edge technology on the Z platform. All right, very cool. And you mentioned a number of things that I want to get back to and touch on a little more. But before we do, maybe also if we could do some level setting on what hybrid cloud means to you. So if someone meets you in the elevator and says, hybrid cloud, what is that? Then what would your answer be? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, what it means is literally leveraging a combination of existing investment. Everybody has decades of investment in their existing IT infrastructure Specifically on Z systems, you're typically looking at, honestly, decades of investment, building some of the most mission critical and data sensitive workloads that the enterprise depends on. But to be able to leverage that in combination with infrastructure that's managed, that brings speed and allows for accelerated innovation and disruption, and that's going to be a combination of public cloud and private cloud. Hybrid cloud to me is bringing those two worlds together and understanding the best way to do fit for purpose placement of workload across those two spaces and have them jointly orchestrated and managed as a single entity. Okay. 
And then obviously we want to kind of bridge that now to what does the mainframe have to do with all of that? So what it comes down to, obviously a mainframe is a piece of hardware. In fact, I sometimes wonder, do you have one in your basement or do you guys, uh, you know, (laughs) go there every now and then and touch it or is it all kind of far away? Well, so I don't have one in my basement, but there is a kid, I believe in upstate New York, but he's like 17 or 18 years old and he bought a Z9 on eBay and put it in his basement. So, so it is a possibility if you really want one. But, you know, it's not just the hardware, right? It's the platform. It's what runs on top of the hardware that's really important. And so the role that Z has played at the center of the modern enterprise is has been critical. It, it, Z's been around for six decades. It's essentially a platform that's grown up with the modern enterprise and has evolved as the modern enterprise has evolved to really meet the needs of modern enterprise computing. And so it plays a central role hosting mission-critical workloads, sensitive data, right? All the stuff that are crown jewels of the enterprise sit typically on the Z system. And so that reality is equally true in a world where Hybrid cloud is the strategy as it was in a world before hybrid cloud was the strategy. You need a system that has seven nines of availability to host those workloads. You need a system that brings post-quantum cryptography into the picture because guess what? You know, all the data that sits on those systems is incredibly sensitive and you need to be able to protect it and protect it today and protect it for the next few decades as well. You need scalability to meet the needs of the digital channels that make up the experience that the enterprise is trying to provide to their end users. When you have thousands of digital channels all tapping into this system of record that holds the ledger that the bank depends on, that has all your bank account information on it, well, that ledger needs to be available in the context of a hybrid cloud environment as equally true as it was before there was hybrid cloud. And so Z plays a role that's central to a hybrid cloud strategy. It's the system of record in the hybrid cloud that everything else builds off of. And when you talk about accelerating innovation and accelerating speed, well, if you don't have IBM, these systems participating as a first-class citizen in that experience, then you're really being held back to the lowest common denominator from a speed perspective. And that means that no matter how fast you go accelerating innovation in your digital channels, you're still going to be held back by the speed of your system of record. And so there's an inherent need to have Z participate as a first-class citizen so that everything can go faster. The other key point to make around Z systems there is just the amount of data and the amount of knowledge that sits on those systems. I saw a recent stat that says that up to 70% of the enterprise's structured data sits on these systems. That's an incredibly important set of data to help drive better business decisions in the enterprise. If you're not leveraging that data to make better decisions and drive better outcomes for your clients, then you know, you're leaving a lot on the table. And so clients recognize this and are eager to leverage these systems for that reason too. And that inherently implies you know, these systems need to be part of that hybrid cloud strategy as well. Okay, yeah, I, I have to admit, since you mentioned availability, scalability, security, those kinds of things, it's often that when we try to build this with so-called modern systems, you know, think Kubernetes, and we come up with a way of making it highly available, and then you talk to people who are familiar with mainframes, they just smile and say, yeah, we've been doing this for 30 years, you know, and, and uh, so you're a bit behind in, in, in that respect. 
<laughs> well, the good news is Kubernetes is in some sense just an orchestration tool. And so you can orchestrate workload on Z systems with Kubernetes. OpenShift runs great on Z systems today, both in ZOS on top of what we call ZOS container extensions, and also on Linux, on ZVM and KVM as an OpenShift environment, just like it would on any other platform. Except the OpenShift that runs in those environments inherits the resilience of the hardware, the scalability of the hardware, the efficiency of the hardware. We've demonstrated that you can reduce the cost of running OpenShift by up to 60% by running it on these environments, just because the environments run way more densely. And so they take advantage of your compute way more effectively and efficiently as a result. And so you can have the best of both worlds, just to be clear. You can definitely have the security, the scalability, and the resilience, and the open shift experience. So I want to poke on something you just said, because I think it's interesting. Until recently, I was under the impression if you want to do something like a container or a Kubernetes or an OpenShift on Z, Z Linux is the way to go. There is a Linux flavor in there, and it looks like any other Linux, more or less. But now you mentioned that ZOS also can run containers. What's the difference? If I now say I have applications running on a mainframe, I want to modernize them or maybe add new applications to the environment. Do I go with ZOS or Z Linux? So the difference is there are clients who don't have ZVM and KVM hypervisor skills. And for them to have to stand up an entire new operational environment to run Linux so that they can run OpenShift is an inhibitor for them to be successful. With the containers, the ZOS container extensions, they can run OpenShift within the existing ZOS operational environment. So they don't have to learn how to operate and manage a new hypervisor to get there. And that just lowers the bar for them to get to that OpenShift experience. What's really neat about that ZOS container extension environment is that it inherits everything that they can do from a ZOS perspective. So if you talk about things like pervasive encryption, and GDPS, which is the HADR infrastructure that gives you those seven nines of availability with ZOS. Well, your OpenShift running in ZOS inherits all of that inherently just by virtue of being inside of ZOS and being another address space running inside of ZOS. Okay. All of this I take as saying, you know what, you can do anything you ever wanted in the modern day of cloud computing and cloud native applications right on the mainframe. And as you said, we have many customers that have a lot of their mission critical systems running on the mainframes. But let me go back to then cloud, where I guess at least on the surface, the assumption is, well, cloud means I'm running my stuff in a building that is owned by someone else, namely by Amazon or IBM or Microsoft or whoever, right? So how does that work? What do you see customers do when it's either about, can I now take my workloads and move them somewhere else to make them portable, or do I modernize in place as in where they are and do it in kind of an on-prem cloud fashion? Well, what we see is it's all of the above. And it gets back to sort of fit-for-purpose placement. There are workloads that need to be very close to their data. And if the data is on ZOS, then it makes sense for those digital channels or those transactional workloads to be right where the data is integrated with the data serving environment. Also, if those apps are highly sensitive in nature and requires the level of security that justifies putting them on premise, that's another reason why you would want them there. If it's a mission critical app layer, for instance, a, a large bank in Asia who are reinventing their client portal for their consumer bank, 
They want to do it with OpenShift because they want to move at the speed of innovation, have feature-rich experience for their clients. But they also recognize if that client portal goes down, the bank's down. There's no business that's coming into the bank until that portal's up again. And so they're making a conscious decision to host it on the infrastructure that provides the highest availability possible in the industry. And so they're putting it on Z. It's all about that fit for purpose requirement. Now, there are obviously going to be other applications that don't have a requirement for those qualities of service. There's no reason that they don't belong out on a public cloud as a result. And it makes total sense to do that. So what we want to do is we just want to give clients the ability to do that fit for purpose placement of the workload in the seamless most holistic way possible by providing a common platform that spans all these different hosting environments. But isn't the majority of applications that run in these environments written in COBOL? What's the predominant language for mainframe applications? Is that COBOL or something else? Yeah, COBOL's a pretty big one, but Java's pretty big now too in those environments. We have Atruvia that's running 180 million transactions a day in IMS that are Java COBOL-based transactions. Java is very prevalent as well now in that space. And so the key is, yes, that the existing apps may be written in Java and COBOL, but you know there's always new business logic that needs to be introduced into those apps. They're not sitting still and written 40 years ago and nobody ever added new business logic to them. There's ongoing new business logic, new business rules being added to these apps. And Today, what you can do is you can write that business logic in a container, run it in OpenShift and have it co-located with the existing COBOL business logic and have it highly resilient and co-located so that there's no network latency and you can interoperate between the two worlds in a very efficient and effective way. Yeah, because that's also something I come across all the time where the desire is there to run an application somewhere else, but then... The reality is that the system of record, the data that it needs to interact with, that lives on-prem and it becomes a question of time and cost to move the data around. More and more often I hear this whole idea of saying, let's bring the code to where the data is because moving the data around is prohibitively expensive. Yeah, I mean, we have a really great example of a large North American financial services customer. And they went through that experience firsthand. Before OpenShift could run on Z systems, they did an experiment where they wrote new business logic written in Golang and Java, and they ran it on OpenShift on Intel in their data center in this scenario. It's not even like out on a public cloud. It was running in their data center. This new business logic was to extend existing COBOL business logic that runs on Z systems for their batch workloads. And so they had basically COBOL code running on Z systems, and then it would call out to Golang and Java code running in OpenShift on Intel. And they did that experiment, and what they saw was the network latency of just moving back and forth between the existing COBOL code and the new Golang and Java code made the batch workload take 10 times longer to complete. So an order of magnitude longer to run the same workload just by extending the business logic out into OpenShift on Intel. Batch workload, you're typically looking at balancing books before you open for business the next day. You can't have it run 10 times longer. So it was not pragmatic or practical for them to do that. So they they had to park the code and they had to give up and sort of accept that they're going to have to keep extending the COBOL code with COBOL. Now, when OpenShift became available on Z systems, they dusted off the code. They added a step in their CI pipeline to build the containers to run on S390X. 
And they ran it on OpenShift on ZVM on the same physical box that the ZOS COBOL code was on. And so they removed the network completely in that scenario, right? The network now becomes just a data copy in memory inside the box because you're moving between ZOS living in one logical partition and OpenShift on ZVM sitting in another logical partition on the same physical box. And lo and behold, because you don't have a network anymore to get to, to move between these two worlds, the network's really just a data copy. Their service level agreements were now met. The batch workload could complete in time. And they're now getting the best of both worlds. They're able to now extend and grow the new business logic using OpenShift, which, which is what they've standardized around as an enterprise, while not having to deal with issues around SLAs being blown out of the water. So that's a great example of where, yeah, bringing the application to the data was the right answer for them and solved a really important business problem for them. And I would assume that these newer applications almost don't care that they're running on a Z system. If you're writing something in Java and you put it in a container, there's a level of abstraction in there that removes you from that layer below, right? Absolutely. As an application developer, you couldn't tell the difference. And what's neat about everybody having CI pipes now is all you do is you add an extra step in the pipeline to build the container to run on Z systems versus Intel. And lo and behold, it's there, right? It's done automatically for you. And so that means developers have no idea. They develop, uh, they check in code the way they would, and then the binaries are produced and deployed transparently where it makes most sense for the client to do so. But then do you also see the reverse almost where customers say, IBM, why don't you take these mainframes and place them in your cloud so that I can still move everything there? It still runs the way it rained before, and I can take advantage of all the good characteristics that that comes with. But you have to manage it, and I don't need to worry about it anymore. So we do have an offering today called Wazi as a service that's taking a step in that direction. Wazi is a modern cloud-native development environment for ZOS. Basically, what it allows you to do is take your favorite IDE, be it Eclipse, be it Red Hat Code-Ready Workspace, be it Microsoft, and it knows how to talk COBOL, it knows how to talk PL1, so it gives you the rich syntax experience that you need. It also allows you to do development and test in essentially an emulated environment that runs on any infrastructure. It runs on Intel, it can run on Linux on Z, and it's fully containerized. So you can build your ZOS test environment into a container and you can deploy it on OpenShift on Intel-based infrastructure or OpenShift on Linux on Z infrastructure, and you can share it the same way you can share a container in any other world. And all of that runs in the IBM cloud as a completely managed service today. So you have the ability to do very modern ZOS development and test today in the IBM cloud. That's an area that certainly is an area that we're looking at. And yes, we're paying very close attention to the interest there and exploring what we can do. Okay, so it sounds like the use case there is to start out with development so that you're flexible in standing things up and tearing them down, and then production would still live in the same place where it lives today. That's right, yeah. The, the other thing to bear in mind is clients have specialized these ZOS environments in their data centers over the years, and so there is no standardized ZOS environment to speak to. And so building a cloud service that doesn't have a sort of a standardized mold to build off of is very difficult. Part of what makes cloud successful is that it's a repeatable environment, typically, that's standardized. And 
that doesn't really exist in the way Z is used in the industry today. So there are certainly some technical challenges to creating a cloud offering in this space as well that need to be thought through. It also sounds a bit like when you talk about clients and also teams within IBM dealing with the Z system, that seems to be kind of a community. You meet regularly, you have your own parties, right? And you then joke about the rest of us who are trying to get to availability with more commoditized systems and things like that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of respect there. And I think what we've seen is we're most successful when we can bring these two worlds together and provide a modern experience but still not have to sacrifice the qualities of service and you know six decades of engineering have done to these systems. We want to be able to get the best of both worlds. That's where we're always the most successful. And I mentioned Java, right, as the first example of what used to be the target for modernization was how do I get from COBOL to Java? And then Linux was the next sort of example of modernization. So being able to bring the ecosystem and the innovation of Linux to Z and to have it participate and leverage the qualities of service of Z. And now it's all about cloud native and OpenShift and Kubernetes. And so in my mind, it's been the other way around. It's how do we bring these awesome technologies that are being embraced by the industry and by developers and how do we bring them to Z systems and have them leverage Z systems to augment them and differentiate them? And so where is this going next? What are the areas of innovation that happen? I mean, obviously, I know that we just introduced a next generation Z model. And obviously, it kind of goes without saying it's more powerful, it's faster, it's denser and all those things. You kind of come to expect that. But what else is going on like in your world? What's the technical innovations that you're looking at at this point? Oh, I think we see quantum as being very exciting right now, both the ability to protect against quantum. So, you know, with the Z16, we introduced the first quantum safe system in the industry, but also the collaboration with quantum and IBM Q. So if you think about it, what does quantum operate on? It operates on data and quantum computers are not designed to consume large amounts of data. They sort of need to be able to touch the data where it is. And so I see quantum and Z systems as having a lot of synergies from that perspective down the road. With the Z16, we also introduced an AI accelerator, the Telem processor, where we you know, do tensor acceleration. That to me is a very exciting space that opens up a lot of interesting doors for how we can leverage the data that sits on Z systems in new ways. It also ties into quantum and how we can solve quantum programs more efficiently. You know, I think there's a lot there that I'm excited and looking forward to working on. The other area that I've seen sort of really emerge is confidential computing. We use Z systems today in the IBM cloud to host our confidential computing offerings through the HyperProtect cloud services. That to me is the next turn of the crank on how cloud needs to evolve to address the needs of enterprise computing and mission critical computing. Z systems saw this early on just because we see what our customers are doing. We understand what their needs are and we understood that they need to have technical assurance over their data when it goes into a public cloud. They need to know that they are the only ones that can touch or see their data despite it being hosted in a third party data center. And so that's an area where we've invested a lot, and I think there's a lot more to come. I see the industry now paying a lot more attention to the confidential computing space and you know, it becoming more mainstream and becoming a differentiator 
as we see more and more mission critical workloads sort of thinking about how do we go to that third party hyperscaler and leverage it. Okay, very cool. You know, every time I talk to you or one of your colleagues, I'm thinking we should pay more attention to these systems because there is a lot of really cool stuff happening there and they're very relevant. Also, I think this is the first time I've heard someone say we need protection from quantum computing, <laughs> which is actually an interesting point, right? I mean, to some degree, we're obviously interested in building that out and making it consumable and making it ready for the masses. But that comes with a challenge right away. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we know that there are existing entities out there today that are basically harvesting encrypted data today with the intent of decrypting it later when quantum is able to. So that is an existing threat that a lot of the large financial institutions today are very worried about. Okay. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. So I want to thank you again for coming. This was a very interesting conversation. And uh, Oh, thanks for having me. This, this was fun, Andre. Thank you so much. So with that, we'll wrap up today's episode. Thank you all for listening and hope to see you all soon. Bye-bye.